Welcome everybody into another episode of Warm Weather Fan Sunbelt Podcast. My name is Brian Stone, Georgia Southern writer for UnderdogDynasty.com, a team we will be talking about today in Georgia Southern, joined by former Louisiana writer Matt Miguez. Uh, Zeke Palermo, uh, the last thing I heard was in a uh, fight to the death with a bird-eating spider in Australia. So prayers up. We're hoping he's all all good to go. But uh, Matt, other than that, how are you? Brian, I'm doing well, man. Uh, it's actually a little weird. We're recording this episode in the same state. Yeah, we'd... we're both in Kentucky for once. But yeah, no, it, it'll be good to talk about some ULM Warhawks and then, of course, your beloved Georgia Southern Eagles who, you know, and we'll get into this, obviously, but they, they still blow my mind with how you went from the option being your bread and butter to being a top five passing offense in the country in a year. Yeah. But it, hey, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it was it was definitely crazy. Uh not something that I expected at all. But let's let's start here by talking about ULM. Uh and then we'll finish up talking about uh Georgia Southern. ULM uh goes Four and eight last season, their second straight year under uh, head coach Terry Bowden, where they finished four and eight, uh, still sort of rebuilding from the 2020 campaign where they finished zero and ten, and which was obviously their their worst season in, in program history. You know, although they've only won four games the last two years, Matt, I just want to start here. You really can't say enough about the the job that Terry Bowden's had to do to even get them to where they are today. Yeah, you know, Terry Bowden, like you mentioned, he he inherited an 0-10 football program and really dumped their fire over in Monroe. Lack of resources, uh, really the lack of passion from the administration. They bring in a new head coach, they bring in a new athletic director, and you've kind of seen things, things flip for them. Uh, but like you mentioned, it's going to take a while for Monroe to get back to the point of where they were. So I think back-to-back four and eight seasons, as crazy as this may sound, might actually be a step in the right direction for, for ULM. I think Terry Bowden's done a great job. Uh, very interested to see what he does uh, this season with this offense, uh, with with a guy like Jaya Wright calling to play the quarterback. I, I mean, I don't think you can make an argument that they're, you know, they they didn't have many options, right, after 2020. Right. It, it, they they just needed someone who wanted to coach the team essentially, and that was willing to handle sort of this rebuilding project, and then and then comes to ULM and and gives them sort of an air of respectability. So so credit to him for that. Like we said, they're still rebuilding, so we're gonna we're gonna give them a tiny bit of leeway. Uh, I don't know about you, Matt. At least I am. I know I know you have a contentious relationship with ULM, but uh, I'm gonna give them a little bit of credit where credits due, but. Essentially, the one thing that definitely needs to improve, and we can start either offense or defense. You mentioned Jaya Wright, but defensively, their defense, if they want to take another step, needs to improve big time. Um, the last couple of years, they've given up, you know, 30 plus points a game each year. Uh, their offense hasn't exactly been, you know, blowing, you know, teams away, but it's hard to to win games when you're giving up, you know, 35 34 points a game every season. Yeah, no question. And, you know, you know, you look at last year's defense, 
Zach Woodard was their leading tackler. He had 77 tackles on the season with two sacks. Uh, he does not return. You do return leading tacklers two, three, and five on from last year. Um, so they have experience coming back, but you hit the nail on the head. You just you can't give up 35 points a game and expect not not only to win but to even be competitive. I mean, you you just can't compete in college football if you're given the opposing offense 35 points a night. If you score 35 points a game in college football, you should be undefeated. <laughs> um, and and so. Yeah, I mean, ULM definitely has to turn that around. But I, I think the biggest thing for them is just going to be finding consistency on offense. I mean, you look since 2020. In 2020, they averaged 16 points a game. Then it jumped up to 21. And then it jumped up to 22. But they're only averaging about 300 yards a game as a team. Those numbers have, have to get a little bit better. Um, I, I look to see if they can maybe get the scoring numbers to about 25, 26 points a game and offensive yardage to, I don't know, 350, 375 as a team. Uh, I think if you can reach those kinds of numbers, um, we, we couldn't be talking about a bowl eligible ULM. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, the issue, and, and it, this is sort of a thing that we talked about last week with Georgia State, but you know, if you look at the raw stats offensively for ULM, you would look at it and say, it's not terrible. I mean, it obviously could be better, but, you know, right. I've never really, I haven't really been impressed with the quarterbacks they've rolled out these last few years, and I think that's sort of been what's really held them back is, you know, you have guys like Chandler Rogers who are fine for what they are, but you always need to be looking to upgrade it at the quarterback position when you have guys like that. I mean, you know, last year as a team, they completed almost 67% of their passes, but they only averaged 205 passing yards per game. Right. And I'm not saying that you need to, you know, throw the ball 90 times a game to be successful, but, I mean, they they weren't really running the ball all that efficiently either. So when you have those two factors kind of put together, it's no wonder that you you don't have, you know, an amazing offense. No one's No one's scared of the guys typically that they had been rolling out the last few years. So, I, I mean, offensively, when you look at it, I think, you know, Tyrone Howell senior, uh, or Tyrone Howell rather is a senior, uh, is coming back as the uh, second team, all Sunbelt uh, selection at uh, wide out six, three, two Oh two. I mean, they're going to have to lean on him. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know much about Jaya Wright, so maybe you could fill in some of this that I, I'm unfamiliar with him, but do you think he has what it takes to get guys like Howell the ball out in space? So I, I've seen him play a little bit. He, he, he's gotten very limited time in, in his last two seasons, but from what I've, from what I've gathered myself and then for, from speaking with Terry Bowden at the Bell Media Days last week, He's very confident in Jaya Wright's ability to lead this offense the way that Terry Bowden wants it to be led. You know, Terry Bowden basically said, look, you know, I'm not looking for a guy that, that's going to throw for 3,500 yards and, you know, just be an absolute superstar because right now that's not the way the offense is built. He said, I need a guy that just 
brings in some consistent and just kind of keeps everything on the right path for this team. And I think Jair Wright can be that guy. He's a vet. You know, he played in three games in 2021, appeared in two games last year. Uh, you talked about Tyrone Howell being back at wide receiver. I think that's important. You get a Juco transfer and a guy like Bud Tolbert at the wide out spot as well. And then Dad Franklin, a running back, uh, a transfer from Miami, uh, 381 yards last year. Um, so, you know, I, I think when you add all of those things together, I think ULM has the opportunity to be more successful on offense than they were last year. But the question is going to be, like you mentioned, can Jaya Wright be that guy? Yeah, like I said, with with Rodgers, who uh, now has transferred to North Texas, the one thing that you could count on was that he was going to be accurate. He, they weren't looking to push the ball down the field, but he could get the ball to guys like Howell out in space and and let them work. So when you ha- when you sh- kind of shift the offense to a, a dual threat guy like Jaya Wright, it's going to be really interesting to see you know what are what are some of the results of that? How, how does that sort of shift the way that they call plays? Things like that. From an offensive coordinator perspective, they brought Matt Kubik, I think is how his last name is pronounced, mm-hmm. uh, back after he had been away from the program for a couple years while they had like Rich Rodriguez and and some other guys calling plays. And yeah, wasn't that fun? <laughs> wasn't that a good time? Well, I mean, you know, it it is what it is, but you know, Cubic the last couple of years as the offensive coordinator has has sort of been bringing them along slowly. So it, it'll be interesting to see if Wright sort of unlocks another level uh, for them offensively. Uh, from the offensive line perspective, they lose two uh, starters last year uh, to the portal: Victor Cutler, who played left tackle, and Peyton Dunn, who played guard. But they, they bring back three starters all along the line elsewhere. So you another guy you mentioned was the running back Thad Franklin, the, the transfer from Miami. The guy's 238 pounds. It seems like if you can block for him, he's gonna be a real bowling ball back there. And if you combine that, if if you combine that and Jaya Wright's able to kind of scramble around and do some things, I think it could be interesting. Yeah, you know, you definitely have opportunities for Matt Kubik to run a successful offense. You talked about that Franklin size. Look, you know, you look at a guy that's 240 pounds like that. I don't know the ULM as exciting of an offensive player since Caleb Evans at quarterback. Um, you know, th- their offense ran so well when Evans was there. Um, I remember them coming to Lafayette in September and Caleb Evans scored six touchdowns on his own uh, in that game against the Cajuns. And, and really, when I look at that, Franklin I brings back that extra level of juice, that extra level of energy to this Warhawk offense. So I think, like you mentioned, with three starters back on the offensive line, if you can combine that with a good running game with Franklin, Jaya Wright, do a little bit of everything, uh, well, I, I really think this could be an improved offense from... 2022 but uh the the thing that's holding me up is just the amount of inexperience and the question marks going into 2023 one of the things we can talk about now uh that we mentioned at the top that's concerning is is their defense um 
Uh-huh. It, it seems like it's a lot of hoping and praying. Like maybe you can uh-huh. you can speak to this a little bit more because you did talk to to Coach Bowden at Media Day, but I'm not seeing like a lot of returning production. You know, you mentioned who was it? Woodard uh, left. You know they they bring back Tristan Driggers. I mean, it, but outside of that, it seems kind of sparse talent-wise. Do do we think that they're going to be any better coming into this year? I don't. Um, you know, bringing back a guy like Drigger and Snyder and even Michael Batten and Luke Tillery, I, I think that those are good guys that have experience for you. But again, we've talked about this before. When you have a struggle in defense... I, I hate to say it this way, but do you really want those guys to return? So look, I mean, you look at a guy, you look at a guy like Driggers. He had three touch, he had three interceptions last year. He tackles. I think he could be good for you. I think Kennard Snyder could be good for you. Deuce Mayberry is a transfer from Kansas uh, that I think could be good in the in the back in the back four. Um, but again, very similar to the offense. There's just so many new faces, so many question marks. Um, and if you're coming off of a season where your defense gave up 35 points a game and you have all these question marks, I'm just having a really hard time feeling confident in what this defense is going to be able to do. So so here's another issue. If there, if there wasn't enough to put on sort of the Warhawks' plate and Bowden's plate at this point, their, their schedule is really tough. Um, it's brutal. Yeah. So... I'm gonna be honest, man. I'm I'm looking at it here, and I I don't want to keep saying this. I feel like I've said this about a lot of the teams that we've covered thus far, especially the bad ones. But we haven't seen sort of those kernels of improvement yet. I mean, I could see them being another three four win team, you know, at the end yep. of this year. You know, when you have to play Army and Texas A and M and App, South Alabama. Um, you know, Southern Miss gives teams trouble. Troy, Ole Miss, you guys at the end of the season. Like, the the games that I didn't list, I mean, that's like three or four. So it's like, I honestly, unless the defense but, takes a big, a big jump, I mean, I'm seeing another three, four wins because if you can't stop anybody, those teams are not going to struggle to score. Yeah, I mean, in, when you look at their schedule, I, I think Army's a game that you can kind of go either way. It just kind of depends on what Army team shows up. Um, I think you can get a win against Lamar. I think you can get a win against Arkansas State. But then outside of those three, I'm having a hard time picking the Warhawks. Well, I, I'm not saying they're going to win this game, but they they always do find a way. I mean, most seasons, there's like a couple of exceptions here and there. They do find a way to play Georgia Southern tough, it feels like, every year that we have to play them. So, yeah. So, I mean, outside of one season, which I think was either 2019 or 2020 when we scored 51 points on them, every other game it feels like has been eight points or less. When it's that close, you know, it can sort of go either way. I think, you know, if Jaya Wright doesn't prove to sort of be that X factor for the offense and then the defense is just sort of what been what it's been, it, it's going to be really, really tough for them to sort of dig themselves out of that hole. For sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we've, you know, we went, we went past it pretty quick, but it's like, we still, we still have a ton of unknowns and then the defense doesn't seem to have gotten 
all that much better on paper. So it's sort of hard to to predict. Right. So let's sort of transition to uh, a team that I'm familiar with in Georgia Southern. One of the things that you mentioned earlier in the episode was the transition last year from the um, from the option style that you know had been a, a staple of the team, going back to like when Jeff Munkin was the head coach, Willie Fritz, uh, Chad Lunsford as of late, and now you you bring in Clay Helton who was let go from USC, and he brings in this high powered passing attack. With a bunch of guys that I mean, I was reading an interview with him the other day. He was he was saying when I came in, I thought these receivers were just wide blockers, so I was not expecting like a whole lot. And then he comes in, and all these guys just start kind of stepping up and popping out, and it's like, wow, we have all of these targets. And then, you know, as it as it typically happens, all the receivers got hurt at the same time as well. Correct. And I think at the end of the season. I think at the end of the season when we played App, there was a guy who caught a touchdown that it was his first career catch in college. Oh, geez. So I don't remember that guy's name off the top of my head, but I think he was like one of those guys that had been on the team for years and never really done anything, and he was like a senior. And it was right. like he caught the touchdown, and then that was like his second to last game ever in college. So, uh, So that was the type of type of talent that that clay helton sort of inherited coming in the one thing i will say is we talked about this with a lot of the teams that are typically sitting at the bottom because you know typically you don't have a great defense and 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 are you know middle of the pack to lower georgia southern's defense was horrible last year i mean i i beat this drum a lot but it was i think it was third worst that finished in the country statistically so it, it was it was really tough because it was like you have this amazing offense that no one expected. You gave up nearly 500 yards deep of total offense. Yeah, I mean, and if you watch the games every week, you could see it too. It wasn't one of those where it was like, well, we had a couple bad games where we really got torched. It was like every game was right by by the skin of your teeth, and so it made it really tough. So Kyle Van Trees, who I think is now the second all-time leading passer in program history having played there for one season leaves because he was out of eligibility they bring in Tulsa at quarterback Davis Brin who I think will be the starter because uh starting receiver Caleb Hood was already talking about how nice of a of passes he threw the other day uh in practice so I think it's pretty much assumed he's starting even though they brought in I think three transfer quarterbacks in total to sort of compete for the job, but it, it's sort of Bryn's job to lose. Do you think that they, with Bryn coming in replacing Pantrese, do you think this can sort of continue this this offensive production? Yeah, you know, you you look at a guy like Davis Bryn, and after three games last season at Tulsa, he was leading the country in passing yards, but then he went down with an injury, and, and things kind of went sideways. Um, Clay Helton brings him into Georgia Southern because he reminded him so much of Kyle Van Trees, a guy who, as you mentioned, after just one season, a second all-time in passing yard. Uh, and then you look at Caleb Hood, who's about 100 yards away from breaking the all-time receivers record for Georgia Southern. Um, Jalen White had a good year last year at running back. I, I think Georgia Southern has a lot of continuity coming back from a year ago even with a new quarterback 
it's such a similar situation at quarterback that I think that they're really just going to be able to pick up right where they left off and put up some really big numbers yet again. Yeah, so Caleb Hood and Derwin Burgess were two receivers from last year who returned. Uh, I think having those guys back is going to help a ton. Uh, I mean, you know, Caleb Hood was a second team all Sunbelt. So, I mean, that's that's pretty obvious. Um, you know, they, they bring in Syracuse receiver Anthony Queeley uh, to sort of add some size to a pretty small receiving room. He's 6'2", 200 pounds had 600 uh, yards receiving over two years uh, for the Orange. And then offensive line-wise, they return a lot of um, continuity as well, I, I believe. Four starters are back. Yeah. yeah, four starters. So, I I mean, they lost their um, offensive line coach, I believe. But otherwise, you know, talent-wise, they should, they should be pretty good up front. Yeah. Um, the part that really gives me pause, and and one one last person I wanted to add was um, they got a tight end from Kentucky named Keaton Upshaw, uh, who's huge. I, I'm not seeing his measurements here, but uh, in in Phil Stills' thing, but he also doesn't have tight end as a listed position either. So six uh, six seven two fifty. <laughs> yeah. So if you can get a oh, zone monster. If you can get a red zone target out of that guy, I mean, you're you're cooking with gas at that point. Um, no kidding. So, Georgia Southern defensively, like I said at the top, is is really where a lot of the concern comes from. Um, they lose their defensive coordinator from last year, who you can say whatever you want about how it went or the personnel or whatnot. I, I will never be convinced he was a good coach. I'm sorry. Like, I know, I know a lot of fans of ours were trying to, like, really make it sound a lot better than it was. He I, I won't ever be considered he, he was a good coach. So they bring in the defensive coordinator from uh, Buffalo, uh, who's a former Georgia Southern grad. They, they bring in a lot of transfers from other schools to try to fill some of those holes. But this is another one, man. I... I mean, they their biggest issue last year was they could not stop the run, and it sort of bled over into the pass defense because if you can't stop the run, then you know your your safeties and corners are having to play in the box, and then they could just throw the ball over your head. So, I mean, yeah, it, the defense has to be worlds better than it was last year in order for them to you know compete. And and you know I'm gonna be honest, I think it will be because. When when you look at the numbers and you look at the guys that are back, you only returned four starters last year, but you had you have so much young talent that played last year. I mean, Deshaun Davis is a true sophomore. Latrell Bullard's a true sophomore. Isaac Walker's a a redshirt sophomore. Uh, you bring in a North Carolina transfer, the defensive tackle spot in Christian Varner, and then you know you look at the linebackers. You've got Mark Stampley, Mark Coez, Watson, Trent, which Watson, Trent had 114 tackles last year, second team all-conference. You bring in Kadri Jackson as well, um, who had a, 84 tackles a year ago. Uh, so there's a lot of experience returning, and I, I think what that will provide you is the opportunity, especially for those young guys up front, to say, look, now I've got a year under my belt. Now I know 
what these coaches are going to expect out of me week in and week out. And I, I really think with a guy like Brandon Bailey, who, fun fact, youngest defensive coordinator in the FBS, I, I think you see a much improved defense uh, out, out of Georgia Southern. And I think if you can have an improved defense with the same offensive production you had a year ago, this team's going to be very, very hard to beat. Matt, I just want to put into perspective for people that didn't watch them all that closely last year how bad their their uh, run defense was. They gave up 231 yards on the ground per game <laughs> last year. I mean, come on. Like, the, it really stood out. There was a couple games where it, it, was, it was really apparent. Like, the UAB game, I mean, I know, I know that... Uh, UAB's running back Dwayne McBride got drafted late, but still, I mean, to like I said, to give up 231 uh, rushing yards per game on defense is just absolutely unforgivable. So hopefully, like you said, you get a young guy in there with Turner West, they're able to sort of do some things on the defensive side of the ball that maybe scheme-wise, maybe talent-wise, we'll we'll see what ends up being the issue. If Turner West comes in and struggles the way that they did last year, it may just be a talent deficit overall. But last year, it just seemed like a combination of, of both things at the same time. Yeah, he struggled. Like you mentioned, you know, 231 rushing yards a game up from 152 the year before. Um, look, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to try to beat a dead horse. They have to be better. Um, and, and like I said earlier with the experience factor, I think they can be, and, and we can sit here and talk on paper about how good they should be with the experience that they have now and the transfers that they have coming in. But until they step on the field week one against the Citadel and then host UAB the week after that, we won't really know. The thing that sort of gets me, and and we'll wrap up here in a second, the thing that sort of gets me about Phil Steele in this magazine is, you know, early he talks about, like, high-level football stuff. Like, I expect these teams to be better, and he'll list everyone from Power 5 schools, you know, to the smallest G5s to teams that used to be FCS. And he marked Georgia Southern down as one of those teams, potentially, and then on another page, he was like, I don't know, I think they're like the seventh best team in the Sun Belt. And I'm like, that's sort of where they finished last year. How are they going to be much of Right, how are they going to be Yeah. So I'm like, maybe the editor needed to take a, a, a red pin to that and say, either you need to say that they're going to be a better team or you need to take them off of this much, uh, much improved list because having both those things at the same time doesn't make a lick of sense. But, um, you know... There are some winnable games on the schedule. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, you talked about the first two, Citadel and UAB. I, they're not going to beat Luke Fickle at Wisconsin. I'm sorry. Uh, they're just not, they're not on that level. Uh, at Ball State, I think they could win that game, no problem. No. Coastal is going to be an interesting team. I, I, Coastal is a team that I really want to dive into when, it, when it's their time. Um, just because... What they end up doing with Tim Beck is going to be super interesting uh, offensively. 
because the Jamie Chadwell offense was really their, you know, the thing that made them so difficult to beat the last couple of years. And when you remove that, but you keep Grayson McCall, I'm interested to see what that looks like. Um, and then just kind of going from there, James Madison, you know, they, they upset James Madison last year. I don't know what the James Madison's quarterback situation is going to be. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, ULM always plays them tough. Georgia State always gives them a run. They're typically pretty good against Texas State. Marshall was a weird game last year. They just totally no-showed that game. They beat Old Dominion, and then they upset App. So, I, I mean, I think there's like seven seven potential wins on this schedule. I mean, there's a couple that are, I'm just going to say, absolutely not right now. Like Wisconsin, I, I don't think they beat James Madison, and I think Marshall probably beats them. But I think you got a couple of coin flip games in here that, you know, if they go your way, I think you're looking at a pretty successful season. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say 8-5 for the Eagles this year. Okay. I, I mean, I I don't really have any questions about the the offense. I mean, a little bit maybe Davis Brin, uh, but defensively is where all of my concern is. So if, sure. if defensively they figure it out, and if they were even – I said this – I think I tweeted this halfway through last year when I was really digging into the numbers. If they were even a middle – of the road defense in the country last year, they were good. They were like a nine win football team because the offense, Certainly. the offense was so good that it was like, there were only a couple of games where the offense just didn't show up and you could be like, it, it didn't matter if we gave up, you know, 17 points, we were probably going to lose this game. But right. So, but you know, if it goes the other way, if they field a top, what 75 defense this year and the offense is what it was last year like you said they're eight and five or eight and eight and four nine and three type team so uh, I, i'm gonna it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes from here with the new defensive coordinator and, and all these new pieces but matt as we wrap up here uh next week we'll be looking at your louisiana raging cajuns and the app state mountaineers as we sort of inch closer to the start of the football season. Do you have any sort of last minute thoughts as we sort of wrap up this episode and tell folks where they can find you on social media? Yeah, you know, I'm interested to see how both of these teams that we talked about tonight, ULM and Georgia Southern, how they kind of play out. Uh, Georgia Southern took a big step in the right direction last year, and ULM's on the right track. The question's going to be in 2023, can they keep the training rolling? Uh, for, for both of these programs. Um, looking forward to next week. Love any opportunity to dive into the Cajuns. App State should be an interesting conversation as well. Uh, social media-wise, you can find me just about everywhere at Matt. And as always, you can find me on you know Twitter. and Twitter's my most used platform, but you can find me on pretty much any platform at WatchTheStone. Just a reminder for people listening, if you want to send us questions, comments, we'd love to do a mailbag episode. You can do so either at Warm Weather Fans on Twitter or at Warm Weather Warm Weather Fans at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to send us, you know, anything you want to discuss and, and we can talk about it here on the show, whether it be, like I said, questions or or you know, even comments. But yeah, like I said, next week we will jump into Louisiana and App State. 
This has been another episode of Warm Weather Fans Sunbelt Podcast.